you're clued into this or not, but today is Palm Sunday, and uh, we're not really going to focus in on that in our message, but before we dive into the message, I want to camp on on that for a moment. Um, uh, I want to recognize Palm Sunday because it's the day that, that began Jesus' intentional journey towards the cross where he would die for our sins, as the scripture says, would be laid in a grave, and on the third day, he would rise from the dead in victory. Hallelujah. We're going to talk more next week about Jesus' resurrection, of course. Uh, and, and, you know, it is the most important truth in the Christian faith. It is the most important thing. Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So we're going to talk about that next week, and you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, in fact, you're going to want to bring some people along with you uh, to hear, uh, you know, that most important fact of, of the Christian faith. But when Jesus entered the eastern gate of Jerusalem, to the shouts and praises and, and songs of a huge crowd that had gathered in Jerusalem for the preparation of the Passover that was coming. Um, it was a significant, very significant event. They shouted things like, Hosanna, which means, save us, please. It was a, it was a declaration of worship, but it was also a declaration of the coming of the Messiah. Save us, please. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And when they shouted those things, they were quoting from, my, from, from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. And it's a messianic psalm, meaning it was a psalm that was a, a prophetic psalm uh, predicting the coming of the Messiah. <clears throat> That there was a rescuer coming from heaven. The problem was they thought that their, the problem they needed to be rescued from was, a, was political. Right? They thought that, that if, if a Messiah comes and just kicks the Romans out of Palestine, we'll be good. That's all we need. Just get these turkeys out of, out of Palestine. They didn't realize that the Roman oppression that they were experiencing was nothing compared to the captivity and oppression of sin and death that the powers of darkness had inflicted on the human race for centuries, for thousands of years. And that this was the freedom that the Messiah had come to bring. Folks, Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. And when he does, he will do away with the effects of sin and injustice forever. And so it makes my heart this morning want to cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When I see video footage the aftermath of the Russian armies bombing a train station and, and strollers laying on the ground as dead people are laying all around it. It makes my heart cry out, Hosanna, save us, Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When we look around at the, 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 the way that, that addictions ravage people around us in our own community, it makes our hearts cry out, Hosanna, save us, Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We wait a Messiah from heaven as they did, but when he comes, it will all be over all of the injustice, all of the sin, all, and death itself. 
Hallelujah. For our third message in this series, we find ourselves in John chapter 6. So if you want to turn in your Bibles or Bible apps and follow along with us there, we're going to be reading a lot of Scripture again this week because um, I, I, it's just hard to, hard to cut out the important stuff in these, in these stories that John shares. John chapter 6. And in, in way of review, if you're just joining us today in, in John's gospel, he gives seven I am statements where uh, very intentionally Jesus uses the, the divine name, the name of God, Yahweh, I am. But he uses it in seven different ways, expressing different aspects of who he is as God in the flesh. Seven I am statements and seven miracles, or John calls them signs, that Jesus performs that, that show that he has the authority to make the I am claims that he makes. Right? So, two weeks ago, we talked about I am the true vine. Last week, we talked about I am the light of the world. And today we talk about, I am the bread of life. And again, John says, he could have, I could have written so many other things. Jesus performed so many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So today we're talking about the feeding of the 5,000 is the sign that we're looking at today in John chapter 6. So sometime after this, it says, <clears throat> Jesus crossed to the far shore of the, of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they, had, because they saw the signs Important word there. They saw the signs he had performed. There's some of these many other signs that John talks about in the verse we just put up. Saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, one of the apostles, said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Trixie. Jesus, uh, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, the NIV helps us a little bit there because it actually in the Greek says it would take 200 denarii. How many know how much that is? No, none of us do, right? So it helps us by interpreting it a little bit and saying this is six months wages for an average worker in that day, right? Um, so more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have just a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place where they sat. About 5,000 men were there. Now we know from the other Gospels that say that there were women and children as well. So we don't know how many people were there, but there were 5,000 men. Um, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. 
he did the same with the fish. And again, we know from the other Gospels that Jesus did this through the, the apostles. He, he broke the bread up, gave it to them. They distributed it. And, and as they distributed it, the miracle happened. When they all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. God doesn't waste. Amen? He doesn't waste our situations. He doesn't waste opportunities for, for victory. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign, here's that word again, saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, there are so many things that we could... Uh, we could draw out of this and and for time's sake we have to be uh you know we have to not dive in too deep because there's just so much here um one of the things that that i that i see here is so jesus tests philip right hey philip where are we going to get food for these people right where's where's the nearest kentucky duck right where are we going to where are we going to order enough food or find enough food to feed all these people? And, and Philip's like, wow, six months, six months wages. I mean, if, if, couldn't, couldn't feed all these people, right? Like if you can imagine there's more than 5,000 people there. Imagine, uh, oh, we're going to order in some pizza and just put it on my tab. I'll cover it, you know. I don't think so. And, uh, and so, so Philip says, there's just no way. Philip saw the impossibilities. Andrew saw the possibilities, but was paralyzed by the, by the barriers. Here's a little bit of food, but what's that really going to do? I mean, but, but the fact that he even brought up the food says... There was, there was an inkling of something in his mind that maybe Jesus could do something with this. He sees the possibilities, but he is paralyzed by the barriers. But Jesus just sees the miracle. Right? Jesus just sees the miracle. He already knew before he even asked Philip, before he even knew, you know, before anybody told him that, that there was a little boy with, a, with his lunch there that day, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He only saw the miracle. How many times as, as followers of Jesus, I mean, these guys, let's not be too hard on them, right? They're followers of Jesus who got overwhelmed by the circumstances, the impossibilities, how many times, if we're honest, when you and I are faced with really something that, that, that just seems like, I have no idea how I'm going to get my way out of this one. I have no idea what we're going to do with this. And how many, how many times do we get so focused on the impossibilities, we don't even give the, uh, the chance for a miracle like Philip did, right? All we see is the impossibilities. I'm, I'm stuck in this mess, and there's no way out. We get discouraged, and maybe it takes a long time for us to even start to pray about this thing because we just see the impossibilities. Or how many times are we like Andrew, who I'm, I'm like Andrew a lot, pun intended. But um, are, are we like Andrew, right, who sees, who sees the possibilities maybe God could do something but oh man it's maybe it's even too big for God I mean it's just so big but Jesus wants to lead us to a place where we where we turn to God 
immediately. We don't wait to work our way from impossibilities to possibilities to miracle. He wants us to get to the place where we trust God regularly for the miracle, right? And I think that's what Jesus was training and teaching his disciples in as he walked them through this. And then and then put the miracle in their hands so that they could actually be part of seeing the miracle happen. Right? That as they're distributing the food, they're like, it just keeps coming. I don't know what's happening. It just keeps coming. God wants to bring us to a place where we learn to trust him for the miracle and we're we're willing to step out even when we don't yet see the miracle and say, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know what you're going to do, but I know that, that you never put me in an impossible situation. You put me in situations where, where there's maybe only your possibilities, but you never put me in an impossible situation. Right? And... Uh, so Jesus is the one who is, um, you know, I, I think John wants us to see. Matthew, Matthew does this as well, uh, often in his gospel. Matthew, um, the whole Sermon on the Mount is Matthew saying, here's the new Moses. Jesus goes up on a mountain and declares the rules for the new kingdom and the new, and the new covenant. Sounds like Moses, doesn't it? Here's the Moses of the new covenant. Here's, here's the new law, the new reality, the new, um, you know, what it looks like in the kingdom. And, and I think John wants us to see this as well. He talks about Jesus going up on the hillside with his disciples to, to teach. But he also wants us to see that, that Jesus is not only the Moses who provided manna in the wilderness, but, but Jesus is the God who actually was the source of the manna. Right? Right? Jesus is the God who provided the manna in the wilderness. And we see this as the story goes on. In, uh, Jesus, Jesus talks about being the bread of life. Um, we, uh, where are we? There we go. Um, as we said, each of these each of these statements, each of these I am statements, beg a question that I believe the world asks. And uh, this question, what is it that will truly satisfy me? Is a question that I think people ask more by their actions than necessarily by their words. The restless search for the right job, the right person, the right property, the right toys, the big enough pension, getting everything that I want just right in life so that I, so that I will be satisfied. Right? All, all those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with those things I just listed. But if we're looking for those things to be in place so that I can be satisfied, that quest will never fill us. Right? But there's this, this craving in our culture, this desire, I must be happy. How many, how many, how many marriages have I seen broken in the church over 29 years of pastoring because people said, I just need to be happy. And I don't think I can do it with this person. So I'm going to go find someone else to be happy. Right? 
And there's this insatiable longing to fill our hearts with some kind of meaning. Something has to fit. Something has to make me filled, happy, complete. There's a, there's a, there's a quote that is misquoted many, many times. It's almost always misquoted by Blaise Pascal. And it's misquoted as there's a God-shaped vacuum in every heart that only God can fill. Now, Blaise Pascal never actually said those words, but these are the words that he did say that are misquoted. And I think this quote is even more powerful. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim, but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. In other words, I've tried all the stuff I know to try. I got to try something else. Though nothing, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Isn't that powerful? Wow. And this is an amazing description of the human condition. Grasping at anything we can find to try to fill that, that place in our soul that only God was ever meant to fill. And so what is it that will truly satisfy me? Jesus says, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Verse 16 of our passage says, when evening came. Nope, we want to jump down to verse 25 because that's a whole section on Jesus walking in the water that we're not talking about today. We'll get that another, another one of these messages. Uh, verse 25. When they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So that these crowds that Jesus had taught on one side of the lake, Jesus goes to the other side of the lake and they follow him. A bunch of them follow him. Jesus answers, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, there's that word again, because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So Jesus rebukes them. Because even, even if they were just looking for him because of his miracles, that would be better then they just are looking for him for a free meal ticket, right? Jesus, you fed us. Feed us some more. We want some of that good bread, right? We want, we want some more of that fish. Jesus rebukes them. They're looking for a free ride. They're looking to have their cravings satisfied, but are unwilling to be changed by the things that he's teaching. They're, they're, they're reacting with Jesus on this surface level. Oh, Jesus, just give me a little more. Give me a little more. Instead of saying, Jesus, change me. And folks, this, again, unfortunately, this describes a lot of uh, the North American church culture that is so caught up in consumerism. You know, we're just, we, we, we show up to, to, you know, to get a nice message and we, and, and we go home and do whatever and then we come back for another one next week. But, but in, the, in the meantime, are we being changed by it? Or are we 
consuming? Are we consuming or are we being transformed? And I know that's a, that sounds like a harsh message, but Jesus had some challenging things to say to the people that were there that day. I'm reminded of a, a verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. Paul writes and says, for as, often, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Right? Their, their God is their stomach. In, and that sounds, obviously sounds kind of weird. But, but Paul is saying all they want is their cravings fulfilled. They don't really want to come to the cross and receive the gift of life that comes from surrendering our lives to Jesus. Right? Just want my cravings filled. The great theologian Jim Carrey. Joking. Um, said, he's not a theologian by any stretch, but he, he once said in a speech to, uh, that, I, that I saw him, I didn't see him in person, but I, I saw the video of him giving this uh, graduation speech. And he said, I, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and get everything they ever dreamed so they can see that's not the answer. Right? Isn't that interesting? Much of the world is stuck in this craving mode. In fact, we all are and were until Jesus steps in and shows us that there's so much more. Right? We all started there. So verse 27 says, Do not work for food that spoils, Jesus says. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Are we determined to satisfy our cravings and live for the world? Or are we willing to surrender our cravings for the sake of following Jesus and living for eternity? Um, these words that Jesus says here um, remind me again of another place in Scripture. In Isaiah 55 that were, that were spoken by Isaiah 700 years before. It says, Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Doesn't that sound like what Jesus just said, eh? Listen, he says, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? From Adam and Eve, who turned from the Father and chose to eat the forbidden fruit to satisfy their curiosity and their cravings. 
to Esau, who traded God's purpose for his life for a bowl of stew because he was craving food. To Aaron, Moses' brother, who made an idol for the Israelites in the shadow of the holy mountain of God because people's approval was more important to him than God's approval. And on and on we could go. We have a tendency to set aside heavenly truths for earthly comforts. And the greatest objections to the teachings of the Bible are often not that they are untrue, but that they require too much. For those who truly understand those, those people who truly understand what is being offered by Jesus and what is at stake, no cost is too great to pay to have the hope that we have in Christ. But for those whose affections are set on this world, any cost is too great to risk the loss of what we think might bring us some pleasure now. But at the end of our days, and those are coming for every one of us, right? The death rate is 100%. And at the end of our days, what will truly matter when we stand before the throne of God to give an answer for our lives? Oh, but I I got this stuff and, I, and this property and this thing and this stuff. None of that's going to matter. And Isaiah says, seek the Lord now while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Take the bread that is being offered to us in Christ. St. Augustine said it this way in his book, Confessions. God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. I'm going to say that again. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. We were made to be filled with nothing other than God himself. And until we make him the center of our hearts, we will always be restless. We will always be grasping at something else. Let's read what Jesus continues to say here. People ask him when he says, take of the the bread that I give you. And they say in verse 28, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Well, that sounds too simple, <laughs> right? I must have to do some great feat or do some great thing to earn salvation, to earn hope and life. And Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. These people had just seen a miracle, right? But they're wanting to, to tw twist Jesus into a theological knot to excuse themselves, right? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still don't believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. Seem to hear a theme there, don't we? Jesus raising us up at the last day is very significant. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life, he says again. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here, he says, is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I am in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is what I told you, that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus invites us to come to him. And this is he uses some pretty weird language here, doesn't he? You need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. 
It's gross. It's weird. Right? Now we know in some ways that Jesus was pointing forward to, to communion. By the way, normally this would be our Sunday to celebrate communion. Um, but because we're going to celebrate communion together on Good Friday, this, this coming Friday, uh, we're doing that then. In some ways, Jesus was pointing forward to communion where we eat the bread and drink the fruit of the vine, the, the wine, the grape juice, that, that represent his body and his blood because only in Christ and his sacrifice do we have hope. And it's weird language. And, and Jesus, do you notice Jesus isn't, he doesn't get ruffled. He doesn't get upset that people are leaving. It's like, they'll get it. They'll get it. They'll come back. But in the meantime, I need to call them to something that's hard and challenging. Sometimes God offends our minds to change our hearts. Right? And I think Jesus' invitation today goes out to all of us. I hear, I hear Psalm 34 verse 8 that says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Folks, if you're watching online this morning and, and you don't yet know Jesus as your Savior, you've been exploring the Christian faith and you're just not sure, this is all kind of strange and you're not sure what to think of Jesus and what to think of his claims, what to think of whether, whether he can really be the thing that satisfies those cravings and those longings of your heart. You know, God gave you cravings because they were meant to lead you to Him. And the invitation goes out, taste and see that the Lord is good. Give Him a try. You've tried everything else. Give Jesus a try. Jesus says, so, so here's four quick truths I want to finish up with this morning. Um, whoever comes to Jesus, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, in verse 35, whoever comes to me and eats of me will be filled, will never thirst, hunger or thirst Whoever comes to Jesus will find true satisfaction. Folks, he invites you to come and taste and see that he really is the one that will fill our lives. Jesus says in verse 40, whoever believes in him will have eternal life and will be raised on that day. Whoever believes in him, looks to him and believes in him shall have eternal life and be raised on that day. Eternal life doesn't just mean everlasting life. Let's not make that confusion because it, it's an important distinction. Eternal life doesn't just mean everlasting life. It includes everlasting life, but it doesn't just mean everlasting life. It doesn't just mean that you'll keep on living after and beyond death. But it means that you'll receive a new kind of life from eternity, from beyond. Right now, as you believe in Jesus, as you trust in Jesus, you receive a new kind of life from beyond. A kind of life that is truly life. And a kind of life that will last beyond this world and into the world in which it comes from. Jesus says he will raise you up on the last day, not as an added benefit, 
but because the result of having eternal life on the inside of you is that you will be raised in the resurrection, that there is hope beyond the grave. In verse 63, Jesus says, the flesh, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing, but the spirit gives life. What does that mean? I think it means a few things, but, but one of the things I think it means is that all of our efforts to make ourselves better, to make ourselves new, to make ourselves righteous, to make ourselves more kind, more loving, more acceptable to God, all of our fleshly efforts count for nothing. We can't change ourselves. If you've, if, again, if you're, if you're watching online today and, and you've tried everything to just be a better person and to be good enough and, and to, to be the kind of person that could earn eternal life, kind of a crass comparison, but, but it's like a pig in mud trying to clean itself by bathing in mud again, Right? We, we can't clean ourselves. We, we need help from the outside. We need the gift of God's grace to come and change us and clean us and make us new. Leonard Ravenhill, a great revivalist of the 20th century, said, Jesus did not come into the world to make bad men good he came into the world to make dead men live. We're not just trying to be better or be good, but we need to be changed from the inside out. We need to be made alive. And that comes by the bread of life, Jesus. And lastly, I love this interaction at the end of what we read where Jesus sees these people walking away and he turns to the 12 and he says, you're not, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Peter says, where, where else would we go? When you've experienced the life that Jesus gives, where else can you find anything that compares with that? Where else can you find real life? Can you find eternal life? Nowhere. Peter says, we've come to know and believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. The disciples may have felt like the other people in some ways that were walking away because they were confused and, and this, these teachings were hard to understand. But they had heard Jesus' claims and they had seen him display the authority to make those claims as he, as he healed the sick and did so many miracles. And they knew that if there was hope anywhere in the world, it was in Christ. And if there was truth anywhere in the world, it was in Christ. And if there was life anywhere, it was in him. Let's stand. I think we can all be encouraged and challenged by these words today. But as we've said the last couple weeks, um, this message is especially this series is especially for those who are exploring the claims of Christ, exploring the Christian faith. And if you're watching online today and, 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 and that's you, I want to encourage you today. Once again, taste and see that the Lord is good. You may have tried just about everything else to find peace, to find joy, to find a sense of 
fulfillment in life and still come up empty. And I want to encourage you that Jesus is the answer. That He is the bread of life. He is what will satisfy you today. So I want to lead you in a, in a prayer. I also want to encourage those of you who know Jesus. I want to take us back for just a moment to that situation where Philip only saw impossibilities. And Andrew saw possibilities, but was frozen and paralyzed by the, the barriers and the challenges. But folks, no matter what you're facing today, no matter what your situation is, Jesus is the miracle worker. He is the one who is God in the flesh. He is the one who is able to turn every situation into possibilities. Trust him today. So Jesus, we come to you. Maybe some of us just unsure about even who you are today. But God, I pray that, that, that as we reach out to you, as we, as we give you a try, give you a chance in our lives, as we, as we taste and see if you are good, that God, you will show yourself powerful. You will show yourself as the one who changes and, ch and transforms our hearts from the inside out. You'll change us. You'll make us new. You'll give us life that is truly life. You'll wash away our sin and you'll take away our fear of death because you are the one who will raise us again on the last day. And God, for those who need to know today and be reminded today that you are always the God of possibility. Pray that as we reach out to you and take hold of you, no matter what our circumstance is, no matter what our situation, that we will find in you the hope that we need today. We give you thanks, give you praise, because there is no one like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.